Shalom, shalom. Welcome everyone to tonight's live stream. We are going to be doing a Q&A tonight and I'm very excited to be with you. Um, welcome. We're going to talk about some really exciting questions that I received from a lot of you guys. And uh, these were really good questions. This has been a good week. Um, tonight we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, some you know, let me tell you, the past few weeks, I've been getting this steady stream of emails about a very specific topic. And it was quite interesting for me because I've I've had this question before, but but this past week or two, it's just been like so many people. Um, and I really want to talk about it tonight. And that is like these blaspheming kind of thoughts that people get sometimes. And then these thoughts are really distressing, like thoughts about, you know, that are like blasphemous against God. And it's like people struggle to control their mind and their thoughts and, and, and then they feel condemned. And OK, we're going to talk about some of that. And we're also going to talk about uh, the, the topic of losing salvation. Is that possible? And you know, the idea of once saved, always saved. You've maybe perhaps heard about that before or uh, yeah. And then we're also going to go on and, and, and talk a little bit about a, a different kind of thing. Like I got an interesting question about statues of Jesus in our homes. You know, is that OK? Kind of like what we see in Catholicism often happen and, you know, and not just Catholicism, but many Christian homes, there's statues. Is that all right? What does the Bible say about that? And uh, we're also going to talk about the power of the disciples. Why is that so absent in many lives of, of people who are Christians? And what do we do about that? And there's more things I want to talk about. We're going to see what time allows tonight. Um, these are some big topics, as you just heard. So we're going to try to go as far as we can get. So thank you for everyone who sent in their questions. We pick the ones that we find uh, we think will be most edifying to our listeners on this particular night. And so if you want to have your question discussed, go to riseonfire.com slash questions, riseonfire.com slash questions. And uh, there you can just fill in a form and and your question will be submitted. All right. So um, we're about to begin. I just want to say one thing before we do. I am a man and I want you to really, you know, it's good to listen to people and all that. But I want you to really taste all I have to say with the word tonight. I want you to really go to the father uh, because he is the one who is to guide us in our walks. Right. And so I am grateful. I would not be here if I did not trust him to guide me. Um, but I'm I'm sometimes terrified, like I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, and I think this is the first thing we can just quickly say. I want to just quickly say is, guys, when I get up here, I'm so scared sometimes. And it's not because it's like because I know who my father is and I know how important this this all here is and, and how important it is for me to say what I have to say as accurately as possible. And um, I'm only here, like I say, because I trust the Lord can guide me. And so I, I'm really hoping and asking for that tonight. So, Lord, thank you for guiding me tonight with these questions. Amen. So let's get started. So the first one is about the blasphemous thoughts. Um, I'm going to read the question. This is from David in Serbia, and he said the following. When I first accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, there was a period of time when I willfully sinned. 
was arrogant, proud, and disobedient, a disobedient believer in general. Many times I cried and prayed to God to cleanse me from my unrighteousness, but I always fell back and, and this never ending cycle of mental suffering and disturbance and mind was killing me inside. As I went by, it came to something I would have never imagined. The uncontrollable, blasphemous, impure, ungodly thoughts about the Holy Spirit, Elohim, Jesus and his angels. What does the Bible say about that sin and can I be forgiven? Because I had feelings as if I've committed the unforgivable sin and that I cannot be saved and forgiven. Yesterday, I was kind of motivated to express my energy during prayer time by speaking good, holy, loving and majestic words towards God, Holy Spirit, Yeshua. When I finished praising God by um, by saying, I'm never going to stop giving praise to your name until the day I die. Then I wanted to say the same thing for his Holy Spirit, but I accidentally swallowed the words. And then when I later corrected myself by making right towards right words for praising, feelings of condemnation started coming, combined with thoughts of you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You have to be careful. You only have bad thoughts about the Holy Spirit. But now you use the wrong words. Oppression came really quick and I received panic attacks. Wow. So uh, I want to say thank you for sending this in. And I want to say that I, uh, you know, if, if you have felt this way as a listener to this now, uh, I want to say there are many people who have who have actually experienced this. You know, it's for many of us who have not experienced it, it may sound kind of kind of weird, but but this is something that the enemy really uses to attack people. Because look, guys, here's the thing. Satan, his main goal is to get you separated from God. That's his number one goal is to get you separated from God, to get you to think that God doesn't want anything to do with you, even if God actually wants everything to do with you. If he wants to have you as a son or daughter, the enemy will come with lies and deceit in any way he can to come in the way of that. That's the objective of the enemy. So let's just keep that in mind. Now, let's go along here and let's see what what is what is what is the biblical uh, concept that we need to get for this. Right. So. We need to understand that not all the thoughts that we have, not everything we think, not everything that enters our mind is our thoughts, right? There are thoughts that we have that are ours and that are really just from our flesh. But there are thoughts that we have that are God's. Sometimes God will speak and put thoughts and, and ideas and things on our heart and mind. And then there are thoughts that the enemy come and he brings. And he comes to put distress on us. He tries to put fruit, thoughts in us that have bad fruits. So basically, we have the thoughts running through our minds all the time. And there's thoughts that are from the kingdom of life, God's kingdom. And there are thoughts that are from the kingdom of darkness, the enemy's kingdom. And it is key for us to constantly be monitoring. You see, if you look at a cell phone, Okay, you have a cell phone in your pocket, likely, and uh, your cell phone has a number. And I have to call the number that you have to get to your cell phone. And your cell phone is not going to ring if some other number is dialed, right? Even though there are so many signals in the air going around your cell phone, because everyone is calling everyone, you know, there's a lot of signals in the air, radio waves. But your cell phone only rings when its name is called. 
So in the same way, there are radio waves all around us, voices, the enemy, God, our thoughts. There's a lot of things going on. And we, much like a cell phone, if you want to go with my analogy, have to monitor, but not just monitor, but discern what is for us. What is for us as God's children to take in and accept to make our make us ring, if you will. And what is not our, ours to answer? What, what thoughts are, are there that are not really for us as children of the Lord to consume and accept? So we must understand this. Now, um, what, what I want to say is, is this, you know, you need to discern. So you need to look at thoughts. You need to say like, OK, this thought has it good fruit, has it bad fruit? What what does it look like? What kingdom is it from? Because you need to monitor, you need to discern, and then you need to act. And the act part is very important because sometimes we just monitor and we like, oh, yes, I had this thought. Oh, wow, I had this bad thought. Oh, no, I'm condemned. Oh, no, it's horrible and it's over. And and no, but you have a choice. You have authority. This is this is big. This is what people don't get. They have authority. They have the option to choose just because you have a thought does not mean that thought is your own. It does not mean that even if it's a bad thought, it doesn't mean you've sinned. OK, stick with me here. If you have a thought that, you know, commit suicide or or, you know, whatever, you now have authority to and you can do something with that thought. You need to monitor it. You need to discern it. And now you need to act upon it immediately. If you do not act upon it, you just let it go. You just let it stay. You just let it grow deeper and you start believing it later as your own. Even if it's the enemy's voice, you believe it's your own because you just never questioned it. You never discerned it. OK, so I want to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 talks about our authority for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ so it's we have to take thoughts captive test them and make all of them obey Christ. And if they do not obey Christ, we rebuke them. We say, get behind me, Satan. Brothers and sisters, think about this. When Yeshua was in the wilderness, what did he do? Satan came to him and said, throw yourself down from here. Do you remember that? Right? He, he said, he had uh, Matthew 4, verse 6. And it's this, this thought of suicide, because that's a suicidal thought. Throw yourself down from here. The enemy spoke it out. Yeshua heard it. Jesus heard it. So it did enter his mind like he he heard it because he had to receive that. Right. Like he heard it. OK, throw yourself down from here. And then he discerned. No, this is not from God's kingdom because he knew what the truth is, because the way you know what it is from which kingdom is by having the truth in you, the word, the scriptures. So now you can discern. And so he discerned this is not from God's kingdom. And then what did he do? He didn't just leave it. Oh, it's not from God's kingdom. Oh, wow, that's bad. I just had this thought. Oh, this is horrible. Why am I thinking of suicide? What's wrong with me? And no, that's not what he did. 
No, no, no. He, he had this, he, the thought came and then he said, get behind me, Satan, because he knew it was Satan who put it there. It was Satan who spoke it. It was Satan who gave the idea and he rebuked Satan, told Satan to get behind him. And then Satan had to get behind him because Satan had to obey Yeshua because Yeshua has authority. And here's the beautiful thing is that you don't need uh, like like you don't need to think like I don't have authority because Yeshua came and said, I give you that authority that I had all the authority that I had over unclean spirits or even sickness and everything else. And in that realm, I give to you authority over all of the enemy. So what stops us now from just going and saying, get behind me, Satan? Right, brother, sister. So that's so important because if we do this is this is not just for this what this specific question, but things in general in our life. God, Satan is continuously 24 seven thinking about what can he put in your mind to get you to bite it? What fearful thing? What what thing to make you doubt God? What thing to make you feel separate from God? What thing to make you feel like uh, uh, God has forsaken you? Okay, whatever it is, Satan's going to try and plan whatever he can to get you to bite it and believe it as your own and take it as your own so that he can have you because that's how he gets authority. Because you, if you don't take authority over him, he's going to take authority over you. He's going to go and say, well, listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. This is true. This is true. This is true. Even though none of it is true. Okay, brother and sister. So um, I hope that 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 part of it makes sense. I want to just as I end this off, just also touch on the blessing of the Holy Spirit, because that's what was raised here. He asked, have I committed the blessing of the Holy Spirit? Because he had thoughts against um, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, impure thoughts, he said. So. I have a video on this called The Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to go watch it on our YouTube channel if this is something that interests you. But I'm going to give you the lowdown now. Okay, The Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In short, I'm going to give it to you. This is a 30-minute teaching, but I'm giving it to you in short, so please bear with me. Um, the Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we... Um, like when the Pharisees came to Yeshua and said, he does these things. He calls out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So they were calling the work of the Holy Spirit through Yeshua, the work of a demon. And then thereafter, Yeshua went ahead and said the whole thing about blessing of the Holy Spirit. If you do that, that's unforgivable. Okay. So we know that it's connected. It's about how when we call the work of the Holy Spirit, that of a demon. So. The question is, if I had that thought or if, you know, that thought was planted, like or the enemy came and spoke that like the Holy Spirit is a demon or because the enemy can even do that. Like he can plant any kind of thought. He can plant any thought he wants. And it's up to us to discern it, to take action, to rebuke it. OK, so if that happened to us, OK, we need to remember that that's that in of itself is not the sin. Yeshua had no sin. When he was, when he had the thought of throw yourself down from here, that the enemy spoke to him in his mind. Yeshua didn't sin. He said because he rebuked it. If Yeshua committed suicide, of course, that'd be different. But he didn't, of course. So that's why we know he didn't sin. And that's why we know that when we have a thought, that in of itself is not sin. But it's what we do with it that can become sin. It's when we take it for ourselves, when we when we um, 
when we take action. So like, for example, the Pharisees, they took action. They spoke it out against Yeshua. They said, you do this by a demon. You are, uh, you know, being used by the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so there was this action that followed. So action must follow like a, a speech uh, in, in some form for it to really become sin. Um, also, if it becomes, uh, okay, before I go on, let me, let me just say one more thing about that. When you look at the disciples, they did something similar to the Pharisees where they went ahead and they, um, Yeshua came on the water. You remember when Peter was about to walk on water with Yeshua? Yeshua came on the boat to them. And then um, when, they, when he was still far off, the Peter and the disciples, they were afraid and in trembling fear, they said, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. And they were afraid of him because they didn't know it was Yeshua because he was still far then when he came close, they were like, oh, it's just you, Yeshua. If that's you, then call me out to walk on the water with you. Do you remember that's what Peter said? Okay, so it's interesting because they thought he was a spirit, something something that could hurt them because they were so afraid, obviously. Something um, perhaps even evil. They weren't sure because it was just from far, okay? And Yeshua came close and he didn't condemn them for that. He didn't rebuke them for that because he understood that they were just in ignorance. They didn't see him yet. He was too far and he had mercy, right? But the Pharisees, the difference is this, the Pharisees who, who, who rejected him, they saw everything. They saw the miracle of the deliverance there. They saw the person who, who she was, how she got healed, delivered, and who did it, how Yeshua did it. They saw all of it. They saw it right in front of their eyes and they still said he did it by a demon. Okay, so there was a full picture. That's very important. This, there's a big difference between rebellion against God. I hate what God is doing and I see it for what it is, the good fruit, the wonderfulness of what it is. And I rebuke, I, 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 I rebel against it. I hate it. And I'm going to speak out against it. I hate what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is a demon. And, and there's this whole picture that you have. Okay, that's a problem. That's when it becomes an issue. But when it's you out of ignorance speaking something and you didn't really know what you were doing. That's all different. Okay, that's not. Uh, and I believe that Yeshua would just like he decided the disciples weren't condemned. He was like, don't worry, it's just me. Don't worry, guys, it's okay. This is who I really am. And then they accepted him. So if we see him for who he really is and we accept him and we love him and we desire to be close to him. Well, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit then. By the way, you wouldn't be drawn to even watch this video or follow Yeshua if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, because anyone who's blasphemed the Holy Spirit is separate from God. They have no desire. They are unrepentant. They would not repent because that's how far gone they would be. That's what, and that's where those certain Pharisees were who actually blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Um, and so because they had no repentance, the disciples had. The disciples made a mistake. The Pharisees were intentional about what they were doing. So I just wanted to draw that um, a parallel just so you can kind of see that how what the difference is um so brothers and sisters i will kind of end this this question off with this is stop allowing the enemy to put thoughts in your mind and eating it up and believing everything that's in your mind just because it's in your mind just because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's of god it doesn't mean it's even your thought and don't go and say oh no why am i having this thought and freak out and feel condemned and ashamed and all these things 
then you're making it your own. No, just say, this is not mine, Lord. This is not who you are, Lord. This is not what you speak. God, I rebuke this in the name of Yeshua. I rebuke Satan. Get behind me. God, I thank you for freedom. And that's it. And then you go on with your day. You do not go and stand in condemnation and guilt, shame. God did not die for you to have that. He died for you to live in freedom. And you need to go and step into that freedom. And you, But you need to. The only way you're going to get that is if you believe what I have to say here. And that Yeshua loves you. And he wants relationship. And Satan is the one who steals, kills, and destroys. And he is, first of all, trying to destroy your relationship with God. Okay. So mouthful that's a big one i hope that this blessed you guys um let's go on to the next question okay this is from uh the, the um the same person actually david from serbia he, he asked another good question and he asked can an apostate be forgiven can an apostate of faith in yeshua be saved if he truly repents and wants to come back to the lord hebrews 10 verse 26 also, when he willfully sins, is it possible for him to repent if he comes back to his senses when Christ's sacrifice is lost, as spoken of in Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6? Can it be returned back to a man that truly repents and regrets his past actions, thoughts, and sins? So basically, can we, if we um, uh, want to come back to the Lord, if we've fallen far, we were against him, and now we want to come back to him, is there forgiveness? Well, the short answer is yes. When we, there is no, you cannot fall so far that like there is no forgiveness. Like the Lord is so merciful for with us in our, in our sins of, you know, whether you are, uh, maybe you were like Paul. Paul was a murderer. He persecuted people in the church and he had a miraculous encounter of Yeshua, turned his life around and God used him so mightily. Think about that. Like most of us haven't even done what Paul did. Well, maybe some of us did. Okay. But like, I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of us who've gone through bad stuff and um, regardless, Paul did some really bad stuff. Okay. And God used him so mightily to even write like so much, so many letters that we have in our Bibles today. So that's just a really good example to go to. But um, I love what he, he brought in. He brought in Hebrews and this is I need to read this to fully answer this question, because in Hebrews, you can read Hebrews chapter 10 and six and think that um, uh, that you can think that there's a place where you can go that um, if you fall away from Christ and you try and come back, that God will not forgive you because you fell away in the first place. But I want to just read this to confirm this to you. OK to show you uh, Hebrews 10 verse 26. The first one I want to talk about here is it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, so if we receive the truth, but we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So he's talking about how you cannot be a, a Christian, if you will, and you and continue in deliberate, willful, rebellious sin, not caring, not repenting, just going on with that. However, you can be a false prophet. You can be like a Paul, like uh, before we, you know, in his past life, before he made Christ, and and God will forgive, like I mentioned. But check what Hebrews six verse four says. For um, 
because okay it talks about how you can what happens if you fall away after truly tasting of the lord after being on fire basically and it says for it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of god of the word of god and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of god to their own harm and holding him up to contempt okay so he they're saying um in hebrews the author is saying if someone is on fire they've tasted the holy spirit the power the word of god they have been enlightened they have um, tasted the goodness of god and the power okay all these things basically this guy is on fire okay this guy is like he's had the full picture and taste of who the lord is and what the lord brings and if that person falls away who have been truly on fire and completely sold out and then falls away it says um they will not be able to be restored to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God. Okay, now, this, I will be honest with you, this verse puzzled me for a while. Um, I remember a few years ago, you know, when I read it the first time. But it doesn't, sometimes when we read it, we can think that it's saying that if we are on fire or we love God, we see who God is and then we fall away, that we cannot, God will not forgive us. Okay? We cannot return. God will not forgive us. But that's not what this is saying. It says that if you are completely on fire for God, you have sold yourself out for him, all that, you've tasted the power and the Holy Spirit, etc. That you and you fall away, that you will not repent. Because it's saying those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, the power of the age, and then have fallen away, it's not possible to restore them again to repentance. So that word repentance, okay, it's metanoia um, in the Greek. And it means to reform or the reversal of a decision. So it's saying that these people will not reform themselves. They will not reverse their decision. Because remember, brothers and sisters, we have decisions. We can make a decision to follow or not follow. And so he is saying... Uh, basically, let's just make an example. Let's just say a person like me, myself, okay, I love the Lord. I have seen the power of God. I've seen the Holy Spirit move. I have seen the word of God and the goodness therein. I have seen it all. Okay, I, I have seen him. Okay. And if I were to go and this is like, so I can't even comprehend it. But if I were to go and deny the Lord, the amount of rebellion needed in my heart to go there because of what I've already witnessed is so great that if I had that rebellion in my heart, I would have to come to a place where I would never even repent. Like that's how deep and dark that rebellion needs to be in me. Because see, it's one thing to sin and not know God or not to follow God because you don't know him. But it's another to walk away from the Lord after knowing him completely and intimately. You see what I mean? And he is the author simply saying that if you know him completely and intimately in that way and, and then you walk away, that you are so wicked, basically, that you will never repent. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's not saying you will not be forgiven by God because God will forgive anyone who term, comes back to him. Any prodigal son will be forgiven. And the reason we know that God 
this is not about forgiveness. God not forgiving us because the word forgiveness is not even in chapter six of Hebrews. Like this is about will they repent? Okay. And so um, I hope that that helps because I know that this is a, a question that's important to address because I don't want anyone to think I have done something that is a sin and I can't come back to the Lord because of that. God won't forgive me or something like that. God will forgive you. In fact, right now, if you're listening to this and you're that person, he's he's waiting. He's there and he's calling your name and he's saying, come back, my son. I love you. Nothing you have done will separate you from me if you choose to repent and come. Come clean today. Repent. Turn from your sin and he will come and take you in his arms and run with you and change you from the inside out more into the likeness of his son. You will be made new and you don't need to stay in your old ways anymore. You can get baptized, be made all new. Okay, so I hope that spoke to someone out there. You know, this is so important because this is where the enemy really tries to get people. Okay, and there's another question, follow up question on this um, from um, Mergen from Sweden. And his uh, the question is, I want to know if it's possible to lose your salvation. And in that case, for what reasons? Okay, so this is similar to the previous question, but it's a little different because it's about the, the whole thing called once saved, always saved. Okay, can you ever lose your salvation if you have come to Christ? Okay, so let me just say first off, like the term once saved, always saved. I don't like terms like that because it's like this cliche kind of Christianese term and it can mean many things depending on who you ask. What it means to me can be can be different from what it means to you. It's kind of like the I found the Trinity. You know, I say Trinity, it means something different to you than it means to me. You know, we get these words and sometimes it just doesn't mean what we think it does to other people. So we have to be careful with those words. So once saved, always saved can mean two things. Some people believe it means no matter what you do, you cannot lose salvation after accepting Christ and believing in him. Like it's impossible. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what, you cannot lose salvation. It's internally, you're locked in, you're, you know, forever his and nothing can separate. Okay. The other uh, viewpoint is that you're always saved as long as you believe in him and live in his will. Okay. So once saved, always saved, but you have to remain in his will. You have to continue walking after him. That's the uh, that's there's a condition in that one. So what is the truth? What does the scripture say? Well, uh, first off, Romans 8 verse 38 says, I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor present nor the future nor power nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 verse 38. Okay, this is a beautiful verse. Paul is saying nothing can separate us from the Lord. No angel, no demon, not death itself can separate us. Very important for us to believe and understand that. It's a beautiful promise. Okay, but let me ask you then, if nothing can separate us from the Lord, why is it that there are people who are separate? Why are there people who are separate from the Lord? If Paul just said nothing can separate us from the Lord. Why are there people who deny him and who don't want anything to do with him and who don't follow him? There's a few reasons, but one of those is because it's their choice. Because people have a choice. They have the choice to say, 
I want to follow Yeshua or I don't want to follow Yeshua. Okay. So Deuteronomy 30, 19 said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. You see, so he's saying choose life and death or death. There is an option. You have a choice. You have control. This is not like you being some robot. You have no choice. And this is no, you have total choice over blessing and cursings in your life and what you choose. Joshua 24 verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land where you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is our choice. And that's why I said, choose this day whom you will serve, because there is a choice involved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in him. That's a choice. You need to believe in him. Okay, I'm just saying these scriptures so you can understand that there's a clear pattern of choice. And then let's go further. John 10 verse 28. I gave give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's what Yeshua said. Beautiful. He's saying no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay, so nothing can separate us. No demon, no angel, none of that stuff. No, nothing can snatch us out. But people have a choice. So nothing can snatch us out of his hand, but we have a choice. To walk away. We have a choice to not to not follow him anymore. And there were many in the scriptures who did that. There were people who were walking with him for a while and then stopped walking with him. Judas is an obvious example. He was walking with the Messiah, was a disciple, and then he stopped doing that and betrayed him. There are many other examples of this. Okay, so there is a choice. Now the question is was this is it possible to lose salvation? Hebrews 10 verse 26. We just read it, but I want to just go back to it one more time. For if we go sinning, go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So he's saying, if you go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So he is saying, by definition, there was a sacrifice for sin before, but no longer then will there be one. That means that someone had a sacrifice for sin, that is Yeshua. They were saved, but now because of their deliberate sin, they no longer have that, um, that, that sacrifice for sin. So deliberate sin is the key. What is deliberate sin? Because that's what it says can cause us to lose our salvation. Let me say it like this, brothers and sisters, we are once saved, always saved, because in the, in the mindset of when we believe in him, we hold on to him. We are safe in his arms. And as long as we believe him, as long as we follow him, we are safe. We are always saved. We will have eternal life. That's it. End of story. But if we rebel if we go into deliberate sin, so in other words, I go and I cast out demons, but I keep sleeping and fornicating with a girlfriend, like something or along those lines, or or I keep dabbling in witchcraft, or I keep doing whatever, 
Okay, deliberate, rebellious sin. I hope God will not see that. Or, you know, you don't repent is my point. You do not even try to repent. You are not even pursuing freedom. And look, there's a there are sins that are habitual and sins that are mistakes. And sins aren't always as easy as flipping a light switch to get rid of. Ask any cocaine addict or heroin addict or anyone who's smoking a cigarette before. It's not always as easy as putting that down. God has done that for people, but sometimes there is a war. There is a battle to fight and God is with us. But every time then we stumble and make a mistake along the way, we're inwardly disgusted and we repent and we say, we, we say, Lord, help us. And we, we try and we work with the Lord and with his power and empowerment. We battle getting rid of the sin or, or all issue or issues because we will make mistakes. We will have faults, right? Even as believers. But as when and that's that's OK, the Lord has mercy and grace. But it is the deliberate rebellious sin that is the problem, because that's when it becomes where we trample underfoot his sacrifice. We don't respect it. We do not really care for it. And yeah, so I hope that that makes sense. That's the only case where you can, if you will, lose your salvation. So we are safe, like I said, but we are not careless, extremely safe in his arms. We do not have to worry. We don't have to feel condemned as long as we do not walk away and start just sinning left and right and start not caring about repenting and all that, we are safe. We're really safe. The Lord has us. He forgives us quickly. As he says in the book of John, he um, he is trustworthy to carry us through our issues because we all have things that we have, even in our past, like in my past, there were st- when I became a uh, strong, like when I started becoming on fire for the Lord, I wanted to really follow him. Like there were issues that I had to fight and battle with. And these sins sometimes took a while because especially if there was an addiction involved, that was a battle that I had to fight over a, a, a time. Um, so that's okay. I had to keep my eyes on the Lord, say, Lord, yes, I made a mistake. Father, forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord, this is not who I am. Lord, you made me to be in your image. I'm sorry for doing something. that's what the enemy does. I'm thinking like the enemy and all that. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your freedom. Amen. And then I go on. I do not let the enemy condemn me. I don't let the enemy put guilt, shame and all that on me. I say, Lord, I thank you because I believe he forgives me because I know who he is because he that's who he is. He's told me he would, so I have to believe it. And now I go on and I fight and I destroy the enemy's kingdom, put everything the enemy tried against me, turn it against the enemy and destroy his kingdom. That's what we ought to do. Okay, great. So let's move on to the next question. Okay, next question from Eleanor in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Question is regarding obedience and salvation as well. I'm doing a few of these on this topic tonight. I have been struggling with this question in my mind for some time. I have many brothers and sisters who I know earnestly who want to follow Yeshua and truly believe in him, but consider me to be legalistic because I choose to keep the commandments. They believe that the old has passed and it's no longer necessary to keep it. I know that we are not saved by keeping the commandments, that we are saved by grace through faith. Praise Yahweh. But what are the implications for those that believe in Yeshua but don't keep the commandments, i.e. the Sabbath and other appointed times? 
versus observances of feasts rooted in pagan tradition. Will these brethren be in the kingdom, or will they be turned away on that day, according to Matthew 7.22? I fear and I worry for their souls, and I've tried many times to talk to them, but only to be rebuked. Is my fear misplaced? Okay, so very, very good question. I, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to to, to, to be, have this opportunity to answer it. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 22 is what he pointed out. Let me read it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy, cast out demons, and all these mighty do all these mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, you, you guys are very familiar with this, I'm sure, most of you who are listening. Um, so there are these people who do things in this name, who are considering themselves Christians, but yet who do did lawlessness and because of this lawlessness they did they went ahead and uh, were declared to depart so just while we're here let's let's all, i want to ask you a question have you ever told a white lie maybe even in the last week have you maybe stolen something have you pirated music or software have you maybe not loved perfectly or spouse as you should have this week have you looked upon a woman with lust by accident this week have you desired worldly possessions of another have you desired the career of another the success of another jealous of someone else in other ways you know have you been impatient have you um sinned from anger or maybe have you even sinned in ways you didn't even know that you were sinning you didn't even know it was a sin okay the answer should be yes like we all do stuff and often if it's not some of the things i listed it's something you don't even know you did we've done lawlessness this week guys <laughs> it's a problem <laughs> right like in matthew 7 right he's saying oh the depart from me i never knew you you worker of lawlessness so are we all doomed like i'm, I'm giving this perspective because sometimes we think of other christians and we say they don't do these things that i do and so, therefore, they're lawless and in trouble for losing salvation. Okay, and I understand. I understand because we think of, when we say keeping the commandments, guys, let's just be honest here. Sometimes we just think about a few certain ones. We don't think about the 95 other, 95% of the rest. Um, the greatest commandments is, is really around love. Um, the Sabbath and the feast days, that's important. I have teachings on them. I love it. It's important. Don't get me wrong. And certainly anyone who does not keep the fourth commandment, that is the Sabbath. Um, certainly that is sin because they're breaking the commandment and the sin is a transgression of the law according to 1 John 3 verse 4. However, we have to be careful because there is a difference like we discussed earlier in this session today between sin that is rebellious and sin that's on purpose and I don't care, but I'm going to sin anyway kind of sin and sin that's I didn't even know. Wow. I didn't even realize, Lord. You know, some people actually do not know. People who are, many are Christians, do not understand that the Sabbath is still for today because they've inherited lies and they've believed them. Many of them believe the lie that the feasts are simply for the Jewish people, right? It's a lie they've inherited. They believe it. And they it's hard for them to swallow um, new information because, you know, it's hard for all of us. Because it, can, it means we need to admit we're wrong and there's other things involved. And it's just people don't go there. And it's not even spoken of sometimes. So sometimes 
you know, there's many reasons for why people don't follow certain commandments or certain things. And it's it's complicated and uh, and we don't know the hearts of men. Sometimes they just don't know. And in those cases, I believe there's grace and mercy, just like there's sometimes things that I didn't know was a sin until later. <laughs> and then I realized it's a sin and then I repent and I go on. I mean, I remember when, you know, I started trying to do things, you know, it's like, wow, I did it. And then later I'm like, oh, no, I, I did it all wrong. But God has mercy because he know, I knows I didn't understand it yet. And then he shows me information and then I need to accept it. But ultimately, I believe the people who Yeshua is saying, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, or those who are rebelling again, who are willfully, uh, habitually, uh, on purpose, just denying um, the truth and not, and even though they know it's the truth, they don't want to follow it. They 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 reject it. They push against it because they want to rather do something that pleases their flesh. And so, I want to just read Matthew five seventeen uh, nineteen. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so he Yeshua talks about those who will be least who teaches that the commandments are to be relaxed. So there are people who are saved, in other words, who taught that the commandments are to be relaxed and who didn't teach others to keep them. But they will be called least in the kingdom. So we see now that this is not necessarily always going to mean that people aren't saved. And I will also go further to say that we can't judge that. Like I, I can never say who is saved and who's not saved because it has so much to do with the heart and who knows the hearts of men except for the Lord. I don't even know my heart as well as the Lord does it, knows it. So um, we never can pass judgment on salvation. But we ought, you know, the question was, should I be worried about my brother and sisters? Well, yeah, that's why I'm like, you know, brothers and sisters, I have 300 plus videos on this channel trying to reach people with the truth because I want, I am worried for people. I want them to know because I love God's people. Like, I love people. And so, yes, we have to be on, on fire and trying to reach people, um, but also be patient and kind and, and willing to understand where they're coming from because sometimes who are you to know the truth you know sometimes people would think you know things like well are you telling me 2000 years of church church tradition is wrong and stuff like that and, and that's you know questions like that there's a lot of obstacles for people sometimes and and um we need to find a way to reach them through that all and just pray for them and, and pray God's grace and mercy over them as well. Like Moses said, Lord, have mercy on these people. Even blot my name out of the book, but don't pass judgment on them because they don't understand what they're doing. When they built that golden calf, they didn't truly understand what they were doing, for example. Moses stood out in the gap for them and God had mercy. And we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters and not condemn them, not judge them not think of ourselves as better because we break just as many commandments often as they do, <laughs> just in different ways, just in different ways and all in ignorance often. Um, so um, please watch my video called Christians keep Torah too, because they do, they do, they do. Really, they do. I know that sounds, that sounds controversial, but they do. Um, they're except for, you know, the, the, the most on fire, true Christians, right? I'm talking about those kind of people. They love the Lord and they're they're really doing a lot for the kingdom and they may miss the, the typical mainstream Christian may miss something here or something there, but they generally keep most of what Yeshua came to teach. 
Okay, so Okay, so watch my video Christians keep Torah too if you want to know more about this topic. Okay. Moving on to the next one, I am I don't have that much time left tonight, but I am trying to move through these. I have just two more questions that I really wanted to get to. So I'm going to try and I hope you guys are with me, doing all right, sticking with me. I hope I'm not going too fast for you guys tonight. But these are such good questions and I really appreciate them. Okay, so next question from Kevin in Idaho. And I was in Idaho actually just uh, earlier this year, a beautiful state. The first time there, beautiful state. Okay, the question is regarding paintings and statues of the Messiah. Is it acceptable to have paintings and statues of the Messiah in our homes? We have been on the fence for a while, but have recently decided they are too much like a golden calf. We don't pray or bow down to him to them. But if someone like a grandchild asks who the painting or the image is and we declare it to Yeshua, aren't we crossing a line? Really good question. So obviously this comes from the commandment in Exodus 20 ver verse 3 where Yeshua is um, God and the Father speaks and he says you will have no other gods before me you shall not make a carved image or any likeness of anything on the heaven above the earth beneath the water under the earth you won't bow down before them or serve them I am the Lord I'm a jealous God okay that's where this comes from and it's important I love that so um I'll have to talk about this one because I think it's relevant, um, even especially for people who have a Catholic background. So um, when we look up, think about a carved image, okay, that's any kind of statue or anything. And I want to just say right off the bat first that there's kind of two sides to this because a carved or a, a carved image or a statue in of itself is not evil. And the reason we can say that with confidence is because God told the Israelites to make carved images of angels and put it within the Holy of Holies. The most holy of the holiest place where that was there, right? In the temple, there was a statue, there was these angels, right? Over the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, so there's nothing inherently wrong with, with a statue, but this is why context is important. You know, he's saying you will have no other gods before me. And then he says, you shall make a carved image and you will not bow down to that. You will not worship that. I am a jealous God. OK, so just like Kevin said, you know, he said, OK, um, we don't bow down to them. Is it still OK? You know, that's what he mentioned. That's that's good. So I, I want to say just. It is unacceptable to make a, let me just first say what's unacceptable. It is unacceptable to make a statue to worship another God through that. It is also unacceptable to make a statue and worship the Lord Yahweh through that. Because just, just like the golden calf, just like Kevin very wisely mentioned that it's kind of like, feels like it's like the golden calf because the golden calf, they say, Aaron said in Exodus 32 verse 5, um, let, uh, let this be a feast unto Yahweh when they were building this golden calf. So this golden calf was used as a statue to worship Yahweh, to worship the Lord through. So, and that was what really upset God because they were worshiping him and by the ways of pagans, like they did in, in Egypt before they came out. Okay, so that's the issue. 
And I want to submit, though, that there's, you know, you, some some people have the opinion that if as long as you're not bowing down to it, it's okay to have a picture of a statue of Jesus in your home or uh, let me say a statue because, you know, we're talking about statues, a statue of Jesus in the home. Um, and I want to just I want to just submit something to you. What is a statue? Okay, it's it's like a 3D image of something that we adore, something we f- we want to fashion after something we adore. Okay, we look upon it, and so we may not worship it, but it's around and it's in our home. The problem is that even though we can say, "Oh, we're not worshiping it," you know, that's been said before, and then sometimes people tend to want to just use a statue as a mediator. We as people have this tendency to see a statue, this 3D object, and be like, wow, there's some spiritual value in this. this there's a connection, if, especially if it's formed after Jesus or or something like that. We're like, wow, this is a spiritual connection. Like Jesus is, you know, he, I feel closer to God when I'm close to the statue. You know, that kind of thing. Like as people, there's just this part of us that that sometimes does that, and it's an evil nature. And for that reason, it, I'm really careful about this thing of having an image of Jesus in the house or, 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 or saints, you know, things like, like things like that. Because look at Catholicism. They will tell you they do not worship statues. They will tell you they do not worship gods through statues even. But yet many times we can look at statues that are fashioned after Jesus or or a saint and you look at the feet of the statue and the paint has been rubbed off from everyone who's been kissing the feet right so it's like we say it but but there's a part of us that sometimes want to find spiritual value in it we're feeling connected to God through it where if we touch it if we pray through it if we pray to God through it if we there's some you know if there's any kind of that that's really that's really what the Lord is saying he hates that he does not want us to use a statue as means to mediate through or or get to him or feel closer to him even. So for that reason, because of that risk and the danger, right, I think really it's wise to avoid statues that are formed after Jesus and things like that. If especially if there's kids around asking, hey, who's that? Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, it can get a little tricky. I mean, you know, a child can stumble in that way thinking like, oh, that's who Jesus is, you know, or you know what I mean, brothers and sisters, it's, it's a tricky, messy place. And, and I, I would rather say, let's just be like, no Jesus statues in our homes. Um, let's just not, not have that stumbling block. Okay. Um, so I hope that that answers the question. Right, so I want to go on, I have another one here from Amanda and we're going to go and we're going to shift a little bit. I have just a few more minutes here. Um, And this is a question regarding the power of the disciples from Amanda in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Good morning, PD. I've been thinking about the disciples and the power of signs and wonders that followed them. Looking at the body of Messiah now, I'm wondering what do you believe is the number one reason most of the body is not walking in the same power as the disciples did? Not much working of the Holy Spirit or confirmation of signs and wonders like healings, casting on demons, etc. Oh, I love this question. So good. You know, I've pondered this, of course, many times before. And I think there's a few there's actually asked from number one reason. I'll I'll say there is a big reason that has a few aspects connected to it. And 
Um, first, I'll say they don't understand authority. Second, I'll say they don't believe they have authority. Thirdly, I'll say that they're not actually doing it. And fourthly, I'll say that if they're doing it, they're only doing it as long as results come the way they want. So let me just break this down for you. When I said that people don't understand authority is this is, I think, the number one thing is is they don't understand the authority that's been given to them by the Messiah. They don't understand that the Messiah said, you have authority over unclean spirits. You have authority over demons. Like, that's like crazy. The first time I actually didn't just, you know, there's this thing about reading something in the Bible. And there's another, there was a place where I came where it hit me as in, and I believed it fully to be true. Not as something 2000 years old, but relevant today. And when that happened to me, I remember it was like I woke up that next morning and the world looked different, like I was reborn. Even though I was saved before that, like it felt like I just got saved again because I looked at the world so differently. The colors looked different because I actually felt so free that I can actually believe this. And um, I, I, I so so the authority is that Yeshua said, go and you go do these things and you have to understand that and you have to believe that you have to believe that that is actually for me and that my sin, what I've done before and, and, and my shortcomings is not what determines whether I have authority or not. What determines my authority is the fact that Yeshua gave it. That he died for me to have it because he, he died on the cross for authority to be poured out on his people. That's part of the death, uh, the reason for the death, not just salvation. But remember, it was blood that poured out. That is the blood for the remission of sins and water. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on us to give us authority over these things. So you have to believe that if you don't believe that it's game over. Like it's not you're not going to see results. You're not going to do it. Because why would you pray and ask a demon to leave or someone to get healed if you don't even believe it's going to happen or if you don't believe you don't have the authority? And now, thirdly, what I said is that simply, even if you understood the authority, if you understood, if you believed that um, and you, you believe the power of God, if you're not doing it, then it's not going to happen. <laughs> now, I know that sounds like simple, but if you do not go and cause our demons, it's not going to happen. If you do not go and heal the sick, it's not going to, they're not going to get healed by the miraculous miracles. If you don't go and raise the dead, they're not going to get raised. Okay. It's like you have to do something about it. Like uh, there's been church services I have stand, stood in and someone manifests a demon and everyone stands around and just looks and no one does anything. Well, that's what I'm talking about here. If no one does anything, that demon is not leaving. Okay. So, uh, if there's someone who's sick, if you don't go up to them and command that sickness to leave, there's no way they're going to get healed if you don't take, like, mirac miraculously in the way we want, and we're talking about it in this context, if we don't go and exercise this authority like Peter did, and he, when he said, rise up and walk to that man, he, he made a, a, an authoritative prayer there, and that was what yielded fruit. So we have to do things. Um, and then I'll, I'll also add, uh, ended this part of this is that some people also do things, but they're only doing it as long as results come the way they want and all things are all comfortable and, and, and feeling more easy. But see, if you just pray as long as results come, you're going to stop when they don't. And that's, that's going to be the end of it. Okay. You, you have to continue praying regardless of what you see, because 
that's how it works. Like you need to grow. You need to grow in faith. And the only way you're going to do that is by exercise and practice. Like anything, you go to a gym to practice your muscles and exercise and they get stronger and stronger. And that's the same with this. You have to go and fail along the way and make mistakes and learn from them and and be willing. You know, people say, oh, you know, I'm really struggling. And then they'll ask, you know, how, how much do you pray for people? Oh, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month. Well, that's not enough. If you want to see you, yourself grow in this area, like you need to be doing this more often. You need to really be doing this often and to, to see people get healed. And you, there's going to be times when you don't see what you want to see. And how, you're going to have to deal with that. Like you, you're going to have to journey with the Lord in that and let the Lord show you, you know, like it's not about the result. Like the result's wonderful, but that's not why you do it. You do it because he told you to. Okay. And, and so, yeah, so brothers and sisters, I'm ending it here. The One of the primary revelations that Yeshua brought that people, I think, don't realize is authority. We see, for example, in Mark 1, uh, verse 22, how Yeshua came and he said, uh, or he, he spoke, right? And he casted out a demon and, and people were like so astonished at his words. And they said he speaks as one with authority and not as the scribes. See, that's what it's talking about. Authority. And then people, when they saw the demon left, they said in Mark 1 verse 27, you know, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Wow. And they were they were astonished by that. This is the new teaching that Yeshua brought that we did not have before Yeshua. This is not in the Torah. Uh, not in the same way, at least. It's, some forms of it is in the Torah. We can talk about that. But but the, but the amount and the way that it's done in the New Testament, how Yeshua came to give it to us as disciples, there's this is this is like amazing, right? This is like wow! Like He gave us authority. I want to believe that. I want to go and go and lay my hands on the sick. I have authority over the sickness because the Holy Spirit lives in me, and He told me I can do this, and He commanded me to do this. He said that He wants me to do this, and He wants people to get healed. Man, if Peter was like there with. That guy who, who said, he told, I don't have coins for you, but here, rise up and walk. If Peter was doubting whether it was God's will to heal, Peter was doubting whether it's God's good will for people to be made well, that guy was not getting up because Peter was not going to say that because Peter would not say what he does not believe. But Peter believed it. And that's why he spoke it out in boldness for all to hear. And that's why that man got power back in his legs because he spoke in authority yeah it's beautiful i love it i can go on about this all night guys but i've been going at this for an hour now and i appreciate you being with me here i uh, i'm going to end this q and i off here and um uh, if i haven't gotten to your question you know i'm i'm saving the questions for next time thank you for sending them but I want us to pray about this thing about authority. I want to, we, we talked about a few things. I'm going to pray right now about through a few of these things. And, and I want you to just pray with me as we come to the Lord with this. Okay, so Father, I thank you for just your the beauty of your son and what you have given us. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the authority that comes with that that you have given us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give a boldness put a boldness in us. Lord, I pray, Lord, you would help us to believe the authority 
that you have given us. Help us, Father, to walk it out in power, Lord, and not be afraid. Lord, help us to actually do what your word says and not just be readers of it. And Father, I I just pray, Lord, for those who are who have listened to the wrong voice, who have listened to unclean spirits, who have told them that they're not worthy, who are they've been they have sinned too much to be worthy to be forgiven to or that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and have and or they're unredeemable. Lord, I thank you that everyone who is listening now and who is seeking your your relationship with you, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is the very one who is drawing them. So obviously, Lord, you have not forsaken them. So, Lord, I pray you right now you would change their hearts, heal them from all the guilt, shame, fear and condemnation at the sound of my voice. I command guilt, shame, fear and condemnation. You go in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I thank you for your freedom, Lord. I thank you for your mercy, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just uh, showing us, Lord, your the beauty of your son, Lord, and how we are safe in your arms with salvation and we are have eternal security. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we do not have to fear losing that as long as we walk with you, keep our eyes focused on you, as long as we repent when we stumble and fall. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the 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 grace that you have given us and that you have died for us to be redeemed, that your your death is the only thing that saves us. It's not by our own works and actions that we are saved. It is by what you have done on the cross, because our actions are wretched, pitiful and poor. And they are, Lord, just they're just horrible and unworthy. They will never be able to save us. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us in the name of Yeshua. Lord, I just pray right now over everyone who is talking, uh, who is thinking about the things that are going on in their lives, the things with things of hardship. Lord, I thank you for that. You bring us life. You give us peace. And I speak to peace and comfort over all who are listening now. And Lord, I thank you for fear to vanish now and to be replaced with your peace and power in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, I hope that this Q&A has blessed you. Thank you for sticking through with me. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next video. Blessings and Shalom.